1: Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.
2: Each month, over 80,000 people download podcasts produced from the fevered mind of Royfield Brown. They cover a gamut of topics like maps, Politics, American presidents, history, the Archers, Formula One, Jamaican culture, and Englishness. Go to wherever you get your podcast and type in Royfield Brown to discover a new favorite
3: podcast today. What does Matrix, Rebel Without a Cause, and the classic weepy movie Titanic have in common? You might be surprised to hear what they have in common is that they are all gay. And in fact, according to Milo and Nico, all films are gay. Milo and Nico are essentially a bloody funny couple. They analyze classic movies and discover that actually deep in the narrative are gay tropes. If you love films, if you love film criticism, this is the podcast for you. With their tongue firmly in their cheek, Milo and Nico convince you that every film is gay. Go download it from a podcatcher of your choice today.
2: This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes.
4: All right. Yeah, I know. No.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, please remain standing for the singing of our national anthem.
3: means Brexit. My
5: administration has accomplished more than almost any administration in the history of our country.
3: Hello and welcome. I'm Royful Brown, who's in a slightly autumnal Birmingham. The sun has not shone today. It has been grey. And as we say in England, just a little bit nippy. Today, I'm joined by our good friend, Tyrion Fisher in Berlin. And we have a very special guest all the way in, I believe it's Seattle, but in, let's say, the Pacific Northwest, it's David Obelt from Malcontent News. Today, what we're going to do is look at exactly what malcontent news is, how they do the news gathering. And fundamentally, this is independent journalism. It's a new type of news gathering. And we're going to speak to David about that. But one thing I did think is, I really do need to change the intro. Dare I say we have a different prime minister in the UK, and we most definitely have a different (laughs) president in the United States. So that's one thing I have to do before we do the next mid-Atlantic. But first, let's look at one of the burning news stories of the year. Moscow has abandoned one of its main bastions in northeastern Ukraine after the Ukrainian forces made rapid advances.
6: Russia's defense ministry said on Saturday that it was pulling troops out
3: of its main stronghold in northeastern Ukraine, a sudden collapse of one of the war's principal frontlines after Ukrainian forces encircled the area in a surprise advance. The video posted on social media showed Ukrainian troops driving past a tank bearing the Russian pro-war Z symbol in the city of Kupiansk. Shortly after capturing the single railway hub, that left thousands of Russian troops abruptly cut off from supplies from where Russian forces recently fled. Very obviously the world is still reeling let alone the Ukrainian nation, from the Russian invasion of Ukraine, which happened at the end of February. And what, one of the outcomes, of, uh, one of the ramifications of this is that us news junkies have been scouring the internet for news to be abreast of the latest moves, manoeuvres in that war. And one of those sources which we've been going to is malcontent news. So David Obel, welcome to the show. First off, David, what exactly is malcontent news?
1: Yeah, thank you so much for having me, and and I want to say welcome to this diverse international audience. It is my pleasure and my honor. I am humbled to be here, so let me just start with that. Malcontent News actually started as a very humble beginning back in 2016 as a weather blog. I, I, I wanted to be a meteorologist growing up, and so a little bit of a closet weather junkie, and I would just do very local forecasts online, and people were like, you, "You should have a blog. You should set up a blog. Like your forecasts are amazing." There, there are even a couple of communities around here when we have snow events where now their their government officials actually reach out to me, no pressure, to ask me what I think about snow, and, and it always makes me a little bit nervous to go. Okay, so you're actually setting some policy based on what I have to say. That, no pun intended, snowballed into other coverage of other items certainly like you had donald trump at the opening of this there's big political landscape upheaval and terrible nonsense going on in the united states then uh, if you're not terribly familiar with the black lives matter movement in seattle seattle was one of the the center points for that movement in the united states if you consume a lot of your information right-wing media no we were not burned down to the ground there were barely any fires here there literally would have people calling me or messaging me go are you safe? Like, what's going on? I mean, what are you talking about? And then that evolved into COVID coverage. And now we have this news organization with four writers and our, our war coverage, which just started out initially as, is Russia really going to do? They're really not this stupid. They're not going to, wow, they really did it. And we just started getting a lot of people following and it snowballed from there.
3: So uh, from, from, from snow to war, you said that you were a meteorologist, at least an amateur one, you were fascinated by, by the weather. I'm sure you're actually secretly British then if you're, if you're fascinated by, by the weather. But <laughs> so What did you do beforehand? Why was it just a natural move for you to go into journalism?
1: That's a that's a great question. So I, I have dabbled my toes in journalism going back to my primary education. I was in the school newspaper. It was a college newspaper. I was an intern at a radio station. And then I went into corporate America. And then I founded a website called OutdoorPlaces.com. I ran that from 99 to 2004. It's uh, it, And then I sold it in 2004. And it's charred, gutted, ignored remains of a half-broken website, unfortunately, still remains on the internet. The current owners, I don't think, have done anything with it in about six years or seven years, but they haven't pulled the plug either. And then I went back to corporate America for a while. And when I started the weather blog in 2016, I I started to pull away from that and moving back into that journalism space. And as we got into the age of Trumpism, the age of COVID, everything that was going on in Black Lives Matter, I knew that there was a lot of problems in the United States. I could see that, but I got into this place where and the other thing that happened is like I worked on a documentary in Africa. I went to Namibia. I spent times in the in the Katatura slums there. That that poor project is still stuck in post production because of COVID just delayed everything on that. And then we need to get that project done. I moved into this place where I just I saw so much I can't unsee it. And I just I don't want to go back to corporate America because of how broken it is. And I'm very fortunate to have some means. I have an extremely supportive wife, and I am incredibly fortunate to have that. And so here I am. We're doing this full time.
3: They so feel though, David, that you're you're missing a step or two to go from got a blog to I fundamentally are now running a news organisation which <laughs> has got some level of international repute. At what point did you really realise that this project had gone from something of a passion to actually a bit of a calling? That to me is the real crucial part of trying to understand your your, your story, but also in understanding the mission really of Malcontent News.
1: So that's a tremendous question, and I can easily answer that. One of the things that we were praised and we got a lot of exposure, and I say we because by the time we got to 2020, there were a number of people working on this project, working on what it, what it has become today, a, a legitimate New, we've always been a legitimate news org, but I think people now look and you know don't go, what the hell's malcontent news? Where where you like, what the hell is that a few years ago? When we were covering the Black Lives Matter protests, we were praised, including from people on the right who were at least reasonable in their thought, for our neutral and balanced coverage. What is lacking in news coverage globally is here are the facts I'm going to present you the facts. When I move to an assessment of the facts, I'm going to let you know. I'm now providing you the, like, I'm, I'm literally just going to say, here is our assessment. And if I move to opinion, I'm going to make it crystal clear that I'm giving you my personal opinion, my personal view. And, and this is lacking globally. And the reasons for this is the news centers were turned into profit centers and so uh, one of the things that is very frustrating for us is when we say write an article for the, the the website, and I will say that we've been so overwhelmed with what's been happening in Ukraine that the website, I don't think we've published a story there in a week, and I know it, it, it it's on me to actually sign off on stories. I, I finally got my first decent night's sleep last night because things are finally quieting down in probably about two weeks. But One of the things we're frustrated with on, on our website is, you know, we don't write salacious headlines, we don't write clickbait and the whole social media system rewards clickbait. It rewards salaciousness. And I know people get very frustrated, like they read the headline and the headline doesn't match the story. That's because of SEO and trying to get the eyeballs and trying to get the clicks which gets you the ads which gets you the revenue and that's why we're in this deplorable state for news and one of the things that we really learned in the last six months in the last 12 months is there is a hunger across the entire political sphere except for people who are just so off the rails they just want the facts and i think this is one of the reasons we're growing
3: How exactly do you fact check the news in that regard? Because you made a point really saying that you want to give the facts, which means that you want to just give the unvarnished truth. You don't want to be seen to be partisan, leaning left and leaning right. I might have a view as to what I actually think your politics truly are, but how can you strip away, let's say, your own personal biases and how structurally can you make sure that the organisation
1: is pretty neutral
3: so you can just give the facts?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. We we have people from different stripes. We're definitely left leaning. I think anybody that goes through our stuff can see that we're left leaning. We we our our investment like look, I'll be transparent because I think transparency is critical. Our our and I, I don't know if emotional investment is the right word here, but our investment in seeing Ukraine and its Western supporters win this it is not an issue of yeah, Team America, you know, with 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 Ukrainian blood and with and talent this is about the stability for the world Russia has very clear intentions they've been signaling this for a decade you know Russia has no borders their their views are pretty white nationalist and and pretty fascist and things and that's again looking at through this fact-based filter so I'll be transparent right up with with that question now with that said how do we get to a point of neutrality especially when you're covering war you've when things aren't going right for ukraine you've got to cover it when things are going right for them when ukraine when we suspect that ukraine has committed war crimes then ukrainian soldiers have probably committed war crimes i say probably just as i would say russia has probably committed war crimes because uh, we can't be the arbiters of that. So I'm not saying probably to give Ukraine a hall pass. And the other thing is just because some people go, well, that's false more because Russia's got a lot more on their. Yeah, I totally agree with that. But Ukraine has done some things that are like, whoa, that's not cool. And we've documented it and we've dove deep into that to your question of how do we fact check something we use geolocation we use weather confirmation so for instance we may get a video and, and video is a powerful tool to go, yes, the events happened as, that's the most powerful tool we have short of being there. The events happened because here is video proof. And sometimes you get multiple videos from different angles. And so we use geolocation. The other thing we use is we use weather confirmation. We can look at what was the weather during this time? What's the weather in the video? Is this video old or the weather's not matching the time period. So when did this really happen? And we've actually nailed some videos because there's some videos that are appearing right that they look like they're in the fall and they look like their current events, but really they were done. They're just were like Ukrainian or Russian training exercises in 2018 or 2020, and they're just troop maneuvers. And you've got to start digging with that. So that's part of that fact check process. We We consider all sources so if ukraine say is making a claim that there is a fight in town x we'll go and look at the russian source. what are the russian sources saying and yeah like the russian ministry of defense most of their reports are just are just propaganda fantasy but there is elements of truth in there and so part of that is gleaning out what is the truth what do we think and sometimes it comes down literally to like a vote and sometimes there are some pretty loud discussions with people on pretty strong opinions on no this happened this way or yes it did happen this way and that's what it comes down to and there are sometimes there are things that we can't reach any conclusion and then we just don't report on it because we just don't know. And oh, and one last thing. Sometimes there's things that people ask, like Biolab. Have you looked into the it's like we're not even going to look into it because it's like, no, they're not genetically engineering birds that carry ticks that have been genetically engineered to carry a virus that only kills Russians? It's like, this this does not deserve our time.
3: How behind the eight ball does an organization like yours get if fundamentally at least, what we told that what we want is our news quickly. Surely, that's a little bit of a conflict, as you explained. Like the the, the conflicts with, let's say, SEO and what that does to the news. You know, everything gets yep. amped up to be the most important thing ever, because you want want those clicks. But surely, immediacy also compromises editorial as well. So, how important is that? And then, possibly, then take us through. Let's say the the, the Ukrainians this weekend have recaptured, have liberated Isium. Take us through how you would, you know, A, find that bit of news, and then B, fact check it, and then how quickly that could get on the website.
1: So. Number one, we would rather be right than first. There are things where we have looked back in hindsight and go, our intel was correct, what we, you know, that information was correct, but we had doubts or we didn't have the confirmation. And that's why we didn't run with it. And we're like, wow, we could have been first with this, but we would rather be right than first. And so that is a a strict editorial policy for us. That's number one. If we walk through something like a Zoom, I I don't know if a Zoom is the best example because that one was pretty easy. Well, I, I guess it is a good example. So rumors, for lack of a better way to put it, started coming out hey a zoom has been liberated so we hear this or somebody signals this we start seeing this popping up and you know in the telegram channels and twitter channels and and vk and some other places that we monitor and so what's the first well we want video right that's the first thing we need video show us video or show us pictures. Video is the most powerful tool. Pictures is number two. So that's the first thing. Is we just start looking for pictures and videos so that we can geolocate for that. We'll look at NASA firms. Now it's been pretty cloudy. <laughs> I thought Seattle was cloudy. I, I don't know if this is unusual for Ukraine because I can't say that I know Ukrainian climate inside and out. But damn, Ukraine had a lot of cloud cover this summer. And when it's cloudy, NASA firms data is, is covered up. You don't get to see where the hotspots are, where fires are. We're looking at NASA firms because if we see a bunch of NASA firms signatures on a Zoom, a bunch of hotspots, then we go, well, maybe not liberated, but they're certainly fighting for it. Now, in the case of a Zoom, right, the Russians retreated. They basically left almost without a fight, not completely without a fight, but almost without a fight. Um, We started seeing, like, the first picture we saw and the first videos we saw, I think, is the same thing that everyone else saw, which they're they're at the northern checkpoint. Then there was a picture that appeared on the 10th where the Ukrainian flag had been raised on Kremitz Mountain. There were a couple, there were other stuff that were fakes. There was one that was claimed to be, or not fakes, but misattributed. There was one that claimed to be, hey, here's the Ukrainian flag flying over Kremitz Mountain. It appeared as like it was on a tower. It's like, there's no tower on Kremitz Mountain and it was cloudy and it looked very, very cold, and it's, like, it's not cloudy today, it's, it's actually pretty sunny and nice based on the other videos that we're seeing. We reached a point of confidence to go, yes, a Zoom is liberated. When we saw a video of Ukrainian troops in the northern part of the city but where the Russian strongholds were, and we knew this area was the Russian strongholds from prior social intelligence going back to April and May, because Russian state media is one of the best tools that we have in this place because they don't understand operational security at all. They're they're just willing to share all of the secrets, which is just, and they still do it to this. We just saw something this morning where we're just burying our our heads in our hands going we can't not just they're not this stupid oh they are it's and it's not going to change we're seven months into this it's not going to change. We felt confident of going okay a zoom is liberated because a that was the concentration of power for Russia, and they were clearly gone. And the video was pretty long. It's about a four-minute video, and you don't hear any artillery in the distance. You don't hear any small arms fire in the distance. You actually see civilian cars kind of starting, you know, driving through the town that may have been fleeing Russian troops at that point. But if you... If there wasn't the battle damage, and if you hadn't known that the city had been occupied for five months, it would have just looked like a quiet Sunday morning in, in a Zoom. And so at that point, we were willing to go, you know what, it is certainly under military control. It may not be under what people would define as civilian control, but it is definitely under Ukrainian control. So I guess that's how I would walk through that. I only hesitated because Lehman Lyman, is is that one has just been a... <sighs> that's been a puzzle to try to figure out what's going on there. And I, I, I think we have that one figured out now.
3: Well, you, you, you can't just say you've got it figured out and then not tell us what you figured out, David.
1: <laughs> well, with, with Lyman, right. There's just for days, there has been confusing information. It's been liberal, you know, Russia pulled out without a fight. It's been liberated. There are, Fighting in the streets and hundred are being killed. There there is artillery barrages. They're just fighting on the edge of the town and Wargonzo. So they're barely journalists. They're just and and their their leader is just an awful excuse of a human being and, and has been caught making fake combat videos and all. But some of their other you can't see me doing the air quotes, journalists. Um, I do have respect as somebody who's been in conflict, as somebody who has had flashbang grenades thrown at him and hit by rubber bullets, and you know, it's certainly not the same as being a a war reporter. But I've been a conflict reporter. I do have respect for some of the people on their team because they're they've clearly been under real fire and they've clearly been embedded with real troops doing real fighting. And so, regardless of their politics, I will have respect for that. War Gonza was there. They did a story three days ago now, and there's like there's no fighting going on here. It's all outside of the town they were standing by the you know kind of the welcome to lineman sign and that was a shorter video 52 seconds so it's not quite as convincing where you're going we're not hearing artillery fire we're not hearing gunfire but you know did they do 10 takes to get the 52 seconds of nothing going on around them but when we read between the lines it was like they look very relaxed right they're not wearing helmets they're they, they look really relaxed here so they're probably they're probably telling the truth there probably isn't fighting in linemen they're just fighting around the town war Gonzo did another report like hey we think they're starting to push into the city we haven't heard and now we just saw another thing from them right before i got on here so not fact checked so don't hold my feet to the fire on this but it does look like they're just in this the fighting is on the edge of the town we have a theory which now will move to assessment we have a theory that Ukraine actually is just content in containing these these defending troops because they're moving closer and closer and closer. They're already technical encircled and they're moving closer to a full encirclement. And I, I personally, I think they're just waiting for them to run out of ammunition and either A, go, wow, we need to go, or we're all going to be POWs, or wow, we've stayed too long and now we're all going to be POWs. And I, Personally, that's what I think Ukraine is doing here right now.
3: All right. Last couple of questions from me, then I'll hand over to my good friend Tirin. Obviously, you've been looking at the minutiae of this conflict since it since it began. What trends, what do you think the mainstream media have actually missed in this conflict? You know, I I'm, you know, I don't have your level of insight at all, and I am somewhat of a news junkie. But what do you think mainstream media has possibly missed? And then fundamentally, what is your assessment of the battle space as we are now thirteen, the Thursday, the fifteenth of September,
1: twenty twenty-two? I think one of the biggest things that the mainstream media has missed is that keep capability. We weren't deep into this war coverage. We were, this was not a, right, this was not planned. We kind of fell into this as an organization. And it was somebody else on our team that said, hey, you know, the same techniques that we were using for COVID to follow surges and then be able to kind of map out that based on those, you know, and and the intelligence programs and the stuff that we built would probably actually work for the battlefield. And you know what, they were right. it's, It's actually pretty stunning in the data consumption space how we were able to start to read the chessboard and we were very quiet about what was going on in the first few weeks in march and it was like wow we 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 were right you know our our prediction was right our prediction was right our forecast was right maybe we should start talking about this a little bit more and so here we are in september i know at the very beginning on february 24th what i assumed we saw the vdv land right at hostomel field we saw it was captured very very quickly we saw that chernihiv was was being attacked and in my mind this is what i thought was going to happen that the russian air force was going to come in and do seed indeed suppress and deny enemy air defense Create an air corridor. They're going to start landing troops into Hostamel. Those airborne troops are then going to be tasked with capturing Kyiv. They're going to move in in shock, so, uh, faster than what you can, can respond, grab Chernihiv establish two ground lines of communication, two supply lines, one to the west passing through the exclusion zone of Chernobyl, and then the main line passing through the east after they secure the hub that is Chernihiv. And so what happened? They didn't do seed indeed. For for reasons I will never be able to understand, that'll be for something for historians to figure out 20 years from now. We know that the VDV and Hostamel basically got Obliterated. They were left to die by Russian commanders. Russian commanders made the decision to bypass Chernihiv, not to secure this as a logistics and transit hub. And we know the rest of the story. Their supply lines bogged down. They had a bunch of other logistical problems, which we can't explain at this point. The moment for me where I was, you know what? Mm-hmm ukraine is a lot stronger than what people think they are is when the united states told Zelensky, we're ready to pull you out and his response was i don't need a ride i need ammunition and then i was like something something's up something's there's something gonna happen here that i don't think people realize and i think that a lot of people in the media which i just don't know why I, I they seem to be trapped in this school of thought that russia is a world superpower russia is not a world superpower that is just screamingly obvious at this point as for what's next you know where, where do we it's a little hard to tell and the reason I, and i'm not copping out here there are a lot of complaints in the russian command space theater-wide in ukraine that the kremlin is silent They don't have orders, they don't know what to do. And that's probably true. And the reason we believe that's true is we are seeing so much panic, for lack of a better word, from the Russian command space of Ukraine's getting ready to mount an offensive in Voldahar. Okay, no, it's no, no, it's it, or it's Orkid. No, it's going to be, a, a, you know, they're going to do another push in Hersan. No, 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 they're going to try and take Donetsk city. No, 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 they're they're, they're going to try and push us back from Bakhmut, and then they're back in Zaporizhia again, right? Oh no, they're they're going to push, but actually maybe it's going to be trying to go from Melitopol. And you see this, and what's funny is, is the Russian mill bloggers are just amplifying this. Indecision, this lock that Russian commanders are in. The other thing is the Russian army. I know ISW is talking. We and is discussing this, and I completely agree with her POV on this point of view. The Russian army is combat destroyed, not the Russian military presence in Ukraine. The Russian conventional military is combat destroyed. It is going to take multiple decades for them to rebuild from where they're at they can't be successful at this point with a combat destroyed army now they can fight a war of attrition they can continue to throw meat at the front lines but they're even running out of meat they've abused and wasted their light infantry And for those of you who listen to the podcast, for those of you who are are patron subscribers and read our, our daily situation reports, there's a common theme in there, which is grunts with guns take territory and grunts with guns hold territory. And Russia has basically run out of grunts with guns. They got lots of armor. They just don't have any grunts with guns. But you can't hold the town with a tank. You can't fix water systems with armored personnel vehicles or provide natural gas service. You do that with grunts with guns who have been trained in being occupiers, not being soldiers. Russia doesn't have it. And they, they don't have the bodies to recruit and they're not going to be able to do it. They couldn't, you know, there's all this in the Russian sphere. I'll close with this thought. We just need to mobilize. We just need to mobilize. Ramzan Kadyrov in their... The the 85 districts in Russia just need to independently mobilize units of a thousand people. And those soldiers need to self-fund themselves and buy their own uniforms and buy their own guns and buy their own weapons and buy their own way to Ukraine. And if we do that, we'll win. This is not the actions of a superpower. This is the actions of a despot country that is in uh, desperation where Ukraine is just getting stronger and stronger and stronger. They were already being trained on NATO tactics, but anybody who's looking at Ukraine still and go, you know, can Ukraine do combined arms tactics at an army level on multiple fronts? Can they do that? I don't know. Anybody who's saying that right now is not paying attention because the answer to that is not just yes, but hell yes. If anything, Ukraine's gonna be teaching NATO
0: Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary.
1: No, Not the other way around. Powerfully said
3: and put. Before I hand over to Taryn, this is a recording of the podcast Mid-Atlantic. Mid-Atlantic has been up and around and in the ether for some eight years now. We started off primarily by looking at US and UK news, and that still is core to what we do. But very obviously, if we're talking about the Russian invasion of Ukraine and the sterling defence of the Ukrainian people against their aggressors, our remit has widened in the last eight years. If you're listening to this podcast, and uh, many thousands of you download it each week, why don't you download the app Clubhouse? And that means that you will then be alerted if you follow Mid Atlantic or Global Telegraph. It means that you'll be alerted when we actually go live with these rooms, which means that you can be in the audience for recording. Of the podcast and you can raise your hand and actually be on a live podcast so if you're listening at home why don't you go and do that if you're listening in the audience now is the time for you to raise your hand we have been joined by a couple of friends miriam and by piotr and uh, we will basically call you up but i'm going to be quiet now for the the next few minutes because tyran fisher is the person who really organized this interview so tyran you must have a question or two i do
2: First of all, David, thank you very much for your journalism. And uh, thank you for your insights here. It's uh, been fascinating. My first question, is j- just from what you've been saying and what I know from you know, following you on Patreon, following your, your reports uh, and TikTok in the beginning, you must be going through loads and loads and loads of posts on, on Telegram and, and Twitter and what have you other things that you've said how is it possible and and at this point first of all how is it possible and it, and secondly how are you able to weigh all of these and and, and assess them for their you know
1: reliability yeah, great question. So it isn't just me, there's a bunch of other people that actually do that scouring and will do geolocation. And there, there's a group that we discuss this in, you know, we, we used it, we uh, we use a Discord. And then within that Discord, there are sections that are broken out that map identical to our sections in the situation report, and they drop that intel in there with the geolocation information. There are certain people in the sphere that we give more weight than others. And it also depends on the topic on what they're 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 talking about. So I can give you an example of this. Wagner Group's reverse side of the medal, when they talk about great victories, we don't give those a lot of weight unless they include a video. Because what we've learned with them is they'll make a lot of declarations with no videos or they'll have a picture and they do what we jokingly call the run for our lives picture, which is uh, we got a squad. We got it into the middle of the town. They took this quick selfie and then they ran for their lives because they were under fire while they were doing this. And there are reasons um, that would probably take up the rest of our time on why this happens so much within the Russian sphere. And that creates a lot of, which to the point of being fair and balanced, unintentional disinformation and unintentional misinformation. This is Russian units and Russian supporting units answering to their senior officer masters and what is accepted as proof. On the other side of the coin, reverse side of the metal complains about something that didn't go right and they are public when when things are they're pretty damn reliable when when they when they're doom posting their doom posts are spot on igor gherkin Strelkov. we just had a thing a couple of days ago where where he just you know went on a tear on his telegram and it's just like why do we red ponies uh, yes, yes, the play of the pig ponies. It, I mean, he just—he was just like on a thirty-six-hour tear. Not just with that, but you know, he wrote about Saladar and Bakhmut and basically how this is a pointless offensive and all this. Like when the thirty-six-hour window, we're just like, why do we agree with a war criminal so much? And it's the same thing when when he discusses the broad battlefield, or if he's discussing what is happening, particularly in Donetsk, he's as reliable as the sunrise. When he talks, when when he says, hey, this is what I think is going on at Hursan or going as that's not his wheelhouse. He's just repeating what's coming out of the Russian ministry, the defense for the most part. The general staff of Ukraine is pretty damn accurate because they're very conservative in what they release. There's been a couple of things where it's like, yeah, that didn't happen the way they said, and we felt a little burned, but that doesn't happen very often. So, you know, we we provide weight on, on the things. If something just appears on a random telegram or a Twitter channel, that person doesn't have a lot of followers, it's a newer account. We're gonna look and see, can we find that video? Can we find that picture from a different source? The other thing we do a lot of is root source. I actually didn't talk about this. If, if we see a claim and that claim's kind of wild, then what we're trying to figure out is what's the origination of that source. And if it comes back to just one source, that's a red flag. If we find the origination is coming from a couple of different sources, then it's like, well, as wild as that may sound, we're hearing this from some other places and then finally there are some things where if we can't verify it again we just don't report on it there there's something actually we didn't report on that we were like, whoa, this really is true. And, and we reported on it yesterday, which there was a, a claim by Ukrainian intelligence that Russia was gutting their troops and their missile forces, their strategic missile forces, that they were voluntelling, you're going to Ukraine, I am, you are. We found this really hard to believe. And they, they captured a squad of approximately eight soldiers who were sent into Kharkiv, and uh, they're with the 42nd uh, Strategic Missile Division. It's the 42nd or the 43rd. I don't have the notes right in front of me, so don't hold me to the number. Patches, patches and everything on the uniform. Just wild.
2: Okay, and, and before we go on to, to the other people who have questions, I, I could ask, I could que- probably ask questions all night, but one more question I definitely want to get in here is, Vietnam was probably the first war on, on the television World War II was probably a radio war. The first Gulf War was probably the, the, the 24-hour television mm-hmm. war. This war seems to be the social media war.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: What do you think that means going forward? What do you think that means? And I, I think most people are saying Ukraine is, is winning that battle as well, but I, I think you know, on this app and on other apps, we see trolls all over the place. To some extent, we see a, you know, a bubble, you know, an echo chamber. Sure. Do, what, what do you think the, the implications of social media are at this point in, in wars going forward and in this war?
1: So I'll keep the questions short because I see we I keep my answer short because I see we got about 15 minutes left and I, I do want to respect the audience's time here. One, and, and I know there'll probably be some groans because of be people who go, no, but I want to know more about that. One, when I was first introduced to the internet, I thought to myself, this is the greatest thing ever. And and now I'm thinking, wow, this can be used for amazing good and it can also be used for amazing evil. And uh, we see that in the echo chambers that that are created. And I kind of hinted at, at echo chambers in news coverage and in so social media through our discussion. So that's number one. I think the second thing that we've learned here, um, it's really impossible to pull off a war crime today and get away with it and have people not know it and create enough fear, uncertainty and doubt in the information space on did it or did it not happen because everything's just available on social media. So I think that's the number two thing. And I am stunned that the Kremlin doesn't understand this. That, that, and even after seven months, they don't understand this. And it's not even a matter of, well, we just have to work harder to cover it up. It's like, you just can't do it. There is no covering it up because it will be on social media. And then the third thing is, this is by far the most documented war in the history of the world. And this is going to change tactics. This is going to change plans. And it isn't just because planners are reading through war reports. If you think about it, right, we we have battles and engagements that were filmed in real time from multiple angles from both belligerents who had body cameras and drones were recording it from overhead, as well as NASA firms, satellite images and information on the ground lines of communication what was going on behind them at the same time. This is gonna take years to analyze and it's going to fundamentally change how wars are fought. This has been a historic seven months. And I'm getting really tired of living through one historic event after another. So
2: I know Iris wants to ask the question, but Piotr said he's got a question that is closely related. Then we'll go to you, Iris.
6: Okay. Thanks, Tiran. Uh, yeah, nice to hear from you, David. Appreciate your work. My questions relate to sort of what Tiran was gauging at, which is that on Clubhouse, we ran a room for 105 days. It was called the Ukraine Sitrep Room. I opened it as an arbitrary initiative, and then it took off and uh, became a bit of a humanitarian sort of organization, if you want movement in its own way, and, you know, did a lot of positive things. But with that comes negative, as you've alluded to, one of which, and this is the first part of my question, which is the the the, the negative repercussions it's going to have on, on on the Russian state identity and so on. I'm not going to go into, you know, whether or not Russia should exist or whether or not it should be, you know, all those sorts of details, just, I am half Russian and the amount of hatred I have had, even when I'm doing something which is pretty, pretty evidently on the side of Ukraine is, well, it's disturbing. So just curious for your thoughts on sort of how you think, you know, social media, we should manage that in regards to sort of, you know, sentiment to to average people. And second, you know, a lot of people have gotten really involved with this open source intelligence stuff, which is... Mm -hmm. but I have my concerns. You know, I work professionally in this field, as do yourself and other people. And you've now got a, you know, this NAFO, this, you know, I'm sure you've seen it, the dogs, all these mean people. And I get it, it's great, but I also have my hesitations and concerns because it breeds a lot of disinformation, misinformation, because people suddenly can sit in their basement or in their, you know, study and just do it. And it can, well, fan the flames of, negative things again and 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 so yep. how do you think we're going to respond to that should there be regulations in place to limit how much people can do this sort of thing just curious for your thoughts on on those two things thanks
1: yeah it, well that that question could be like a whole 1 hour podcast just on its own so laws on free speech are sacrosanct politically i'm I'm actually pretty much a purist when it comes to the constitution and and the bill of rights surprise with that said though you can't scream fire in the middle of a crowded movie theater, as one Supreme Court justice said, "You'll know pornography when you see it." Right? He was asked. The Supreme Court was essentially asked to define pornography, and it was it's, it's it's impossible to define. It was a wise decision because what is and isn't will change with the times, and drawing a line in the sand doesn't keep up with those times. We're seeing things like in the QAnon space that is doing uh, irreparable harm to people's lives. Forget the political sphere for a minute. We're to a place now where people are following so far down these rabbit holes in the internets that they're they're murdering their entire families. There was just a story here in the United States 2 days ago. Took out their entire family over an argument on on the QAnon beliefs. To me this is yelling fire in a crowded movie theater. How do you regu- you know how do you regulate that? Where is the line? and how do you prevent that line from being a cudgel to share the truth and or or not to mute the truth that's like gets into a one-hour conversation and requires brains that are much bigger than mine in the area of in the area of law and, and free speech but i do think that there is a fundamental problem that's here We certainly like we've posted some memes. We've done a couple of things. We certainly share stuff privately amongst among ourselves. There's definitely some things where we just, you know, are burying our heads in our hands because we're just like, they can't be this bad. Like, look, I'll be very transparent. I told somebody last night, it's like the whole Russian military appears to be run by 13 year olds who played Call of Duty just enough to be dangerous that 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 looks like what the decision making capabilities are here but it's one thing to to harbor these views it's another thing then to to write it in editorial or to let those views when you look at the evidence in front of you go to, to taint that and and I'll actually provide an explanation of where this 13-year-old comic came from. This was on the destruction of the dam that happened in yesterday. And the impact to this, no pun intended, to the battlefield was mitigated by Ukrainian engineers within 12 hours. And Russia used probably 25% to 33% of their entire hypersonic cruise missile supply for to flood. One hundred and twelve homes. That's really what they have accomplished. and they're gonna raise the Inlets River downstream about fifteen centimeters. That's what they've accomplished. Was that worth their, <laughs> was that worth one third to twenty five percent of their of their hypersonic missile supply? I'm pretty sure the answer to that is, you know, no. just heck no. It, it was just a cockamamie idea. I was poorly executed. And they're just dealing with a smarter belligerent. So that's where that view comes from. You've asked a great question. It's a very tough question to answer. And I don't feel I really answered your question.
6: No, thank you very much. I appreciate it, though.
1: I mean, I find the NAFO thing amusing. But there are definitely some people in the open source intelligence space that I, I feel uh, you know, cross lines for a better way to put it right they, they present themselves as being impartial and it's like yeah you've you, you've kind of crossed the line now with that
4: Hi David first of all thank you very much I'm really enjoying to hear what you're talking and what you're saying here and I've I well I have a lot of questions for you but I'll, I'll probably focus on one so I come from the intelligence and military world and I would like to ask you we saw that The information that's coming out in the last week or so about this battle is very fast. So usually what you see on mainstream media is not really accurate like 10 minutes after something happens. First of all, I wanted to know how do you challenge this fast movement of news? and secondly we also see a lot of intelligence that's coming in in to to this and really being used in an amazing way especially in the ukrainian side Bec- and and i just want you to elaborate on this a little bit
1: so as far as the people smarter than me said the speed that ukraine's light infantry moved across kharkiv is not The impressive thing that light infantry, mechanized light infantry should be able to move 20, 30, 40 kilometers in a day. What was truly impressive was the combined tactics that were used at at an army level and how Ukrainian planners thought of absolutely everything. Everything. They didn't leave a single detail off the table and what they planned. And people smarter than that's another reason where we get we coverage because I'm very much willing to listen and learn from people smarter than me. And that's what we were told was the impressive. Feet here. I don't know. I don't know if I I think that mainstream media actually struggled to keep up with this story because mainstream media relies on their direct boots on the ground. And Ukraine, to maintain operational security, said, yeah, no boots on the ground. They kicked all of the reporters out of all of the military units right before the start of this big offensive and they did that to maintain operational security. So I think that's part one of your question. To part two of your question, how is Ukraine using this to their benefit? This goes back to my earlier comment about the Russia state media and no understanding of operational security. You know, great example, there there was a, a last week Russia state media runs a story showing a single white SUV going across the Yeninovsky bridge as a flex. You see we can get a vehicle over the bridge and 6 hours later 10 HIMARS missiles land 10 HIMARS rockets land on the bridge assuring that you are not going to get a white SUV or not even a bicycle across the bridge it's when they do stuff like this i just it, where where i just shake my head where this isn't a flex this is just stupid you just provided Uh, you're from the intelligence community. You just gave us a full battle damage assessment that we would have to wait for a satellite pass and, you know, ask the United States for this. We don't know ultimately how, how deep of a level they're willing to share, but oh no, 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 no. The Russian Russian state media was more than willing to give them a real-time battle damage assessment. And they keep making this mistake over and over and over again. And it's like, you don't tell them that the bridge is fixed you know or not even fixed but you don't you don't add, what are you doing oh so, so true but that's my second part of the that and that's my second part of, to, your, to your question I, I think this is where ukraine is using this to their advantage and the kremlin doesn't care and the kremlin's not because if they cared they would have stopped doing this five months ago
3: thank you thank you for that question Eris now we are at the hour mark and i know tina you've been on the stage for quite some time Brent, ditto you as well. And then Eric, you've also just come up. Just so we respect. And Miriam. Yeah, oh, sorry, and Miriam. Sorry, Miriam. So what I'm just going to ask you all to do, please be super brief with your question. Just one point. And, and then also, David, if yep. you can be brief with your answers, then you won't be, you won't be too late to get off to your, your next appointment. So Miriam, you've been waiting by far the longest. A super brief question, Miriam, so we can wrap yes. this up.
4: Yes, I am so impressed with your work and definitely in your face of ju- journalism. But I wondered, you probably do deal with a lot of very graphic pictures, and I wondered psychological impact on you and your team and how you deal with that. Thank you.
1: Wow, that's a tough question. And the answer is yes, I will, uh, I will try to keep this story as short as possible. We were probably the first news organization on the planet to confirm what happened in bucha this is a very hot button for me particularly in the disinformation space because one of the talking points is well those videos didn't come out until april 2nd right they weren't filmed until later it's like that that's not true because we had geo confirmed and reached the conclusion that these videos were real on April one, Seattle time, which of course means that they were they were filmed much earlier on on either the thirty first or or April one, um, and when when the team looks at things, I become kind of the final arbiter, especially on something that's big. So I spent a lot of time looking at those videos and of course there was the one of the one street and then there was just a flood of other stuff that came in and just literally just as we were like yeah this is real this this this, this is real my wife happened to pop come home from work pops in my office and I just completely fell apart you know and she's you know what's wrong what's wrong I'm like it's just horrible you know I just that's all I could Step, you know, you know, it's like there's just bodies, it's just street after street, there's just bodies, they, they executed everyone. She's like, what are you talking about? And I'm like the Russians, when they, when they pulled out, they just, it's horrible. And uh, yeah, sometimes you have to, to step away. A reality check for me, and I'll end with this, and this will be another one to be a little hard for me to talk about, but I'll keep it very short, was listening to a translated phone call of a Russian soldier, and you could hear the terror in their voice. They were wounded. They were in pain. Their wife was not being very empathetic on the call. And you could hear the absolute terror in their voice. You know, we're surrounded. We're running out of ammunition. This is probably my last call. And it hit. It hit hard. Um, And when I feel that empathy, that tells me I'm not losing my humanity, that I'm not becoming hate-filled, that I, I see everything for what it is. And at the end of the day, these are human beings. And I, I have empathy for the Russian lives. Oh, every soldier that goes to the front line does not wake up in the morning and go, you know, I hope I die today. Um, there may be a few that do, but for the most part, they have hopes, they have dreams, they want to grow old, they want to have kids, they want to see their grandkids grow, you know, grow up. They and, and there's just been a lot of wasted lives. Anyway, the, the mental health stuff is tough. Sometimes it's really tough. I tell you this, I'm not looking forward to what we're going to be confirming coming out of the Zoom and there's already some stuff we're looking at.
4: Thank you so much. Amazing. There's some. Pur-
3: All right so now I think it's Tina and then we're going to end up with Eric.
4: Hello David this
3: is Tina I'm from Finland I'm a journalist and human rights activist
4: and also have a long career with the media and communication business my question is about your readers it's an interesting concept because you have a war you have a also health and you have a lgbtq editorial section so what is your average reader profile and the second question how do you protect yourself from hate beats and from trolls thank you very much
1: yeah i I actually cannot answer the question at this point for average reader because to be candid i've been so busy i have not been able to look i know that that profile has definitely changed and there is no way for me to answer that question and so I, i Thank you for your understanding of me being unable to answer that question. Yeah, I, I, I've had death threats. I was actually doxed by the head of the Seattle Police Union, of all things. He was actually investigated by the investigative arm of the Seattle Police Department for it. And they they buried the case of which I'm, I'm not surprised at at all. And, you know, we have cameras around the house. I'm from the United States. I'm two way friendly. I've always been two way friendly. And there, there's a person I'm, I'm dealing with right now who, you know, is a, is a troll. And, and this person is is actually pretty unstable their stuff actually has nothing to do with with the war or black lives matter or anything they're they're just they need help they're just an unstable individual there isn't they aren't just fixated on me they're fixated on a few other people certainly the climate here in the United States towards journalists is bad i think it's actually worse than what People think it is. And I feel here in the United States that we've already entered into the troubles, you know, the, the, the Ireland troubles. And I think we have been in the troubles for a good 12 or 18 months now. And I think it's accelerating. And I think there's going to be some very, very hard times coming in the United States, unfortunately.
4: Thank you very much.
1: Thank uh, you. Eric,
3: Eric, you have the honor of being the last person to ask a question. Thank you for everything. brief as well
5: i thank you for everything you're doing. If you could either now or on a podcast, um, if it makes sense, talk about the following perspective. We're very often hearing about the suffering of, of Ukraine and geopolitical issues with winter coming in Europe, the perspective that I'm not hearing very much or at all is um, the one around We've had a world where we've stopped having wars that change borders, not stopped obviously, but much, much less than historically. And one of the reasons that the United States and its allies might really want to continue supporting Ukraine or even crank it up is the breakdown of that system is potentially disastrous. Can you talk about that at all? Thanks so much, America
1: yeah Eric thank you so much it's a great question we're seeing this year in particular the true impact on climate change and I know climate change is this loaded topic for a lot of people but we are really seeing the the impact of this with you know heat waves the flooding in Pakistan well it floods in you know it doesn't flood like it does in in this year and it, we can go on you know a historical heat in california we just had on and on and on and and as somebody who is a student of meteorology but not a meteorologist whether is not climate climate is not weather why do i bring this up part of what's going on in ukraine is about water for crimea this is one piece on the chessboard it's not the reason for the war but it is one piece on the chessboard. And as sea levels rise, as rain patterns change, as crop patterns change, we're going to see more and more wars over resources. And here in the United States, we're probably just a few years away from not war, but certainly states in Mexico really fighting over water. From the Colorado River basin, because the Colorado River is drying up. And I think as we move into this space, we run the risk of more and more fighting over borders. And yeah, you are correct. We we have generally moved into a place since you know World War Two-ish, you know, there hasn't been a, a lot of major fighting to borders and real estate. Yes, there there's been, you know, Korea and Vietnam, but these were kind of civil wars, Korea was a mess. And again, I could spend an hour just discussing all of that. And I do think fundamentally, that's what it comes down to. You're actually ending on a great question. What has Vladimir Putin said for over a decade? That he wants to restore the the former borders of Russia. No, he doesn't mean the Soviet Union and the Warsaw Bloc, the Warsaw Pact, right? The, the Eastern European behind the Iron Curtain countries. He means Imperial Russia that's what he means. What's very interesting is you go, yeah, but you know, there's large chunks of real estate in Imperial Russia that you didn't know that belonged to China. Is like, yeah, well, right. Then they get a little, they get kind of racist when you bring that up. Yeah, but you know, the Chinese, you know, that, that belongs to us now too. He's been very vocal of this, right? What are they teaching their school children? Russia has no borders. It's Russia for everything. You are a Nazi Right, they they're trying to co opt this term Nazi. Well, how do they define Nazi? Anybody who is against Russia, that is who a Nazi is. This is a, a war of conquest. Yep, and it's a genocidal war. The people in Ukraine do not have a seat at the table, regardless of what the Kremlin is saying. And it's a little bit ironic that a country that sits in eleven time zones is essentially in a we need living space war and. I'll close with this. This is why Russia is losing. What were their initial goals? Well, to end the regime in Kyiv, well, they haven't accomplished that, to quote, unquote, denazify Ukraine, which is really just code for to destroy Ukrainian culture, destroy the language, destroy their history. Well, they haven't accomplished that. We want. We don't want NATO to expand. I know we had someone on question with Finland just a minute ago and Sweden, you know, not only. We don't want NATO on our border, congratulations, you're getting NATO on your border, with or without Ukraine. Great job. Keep it up. We could just run down the list. This has been an abject failure for Russia. Their military is in a place of combat destroyed, I mentioned that earlier, and there are people that are starting to ask questions. And we've added this in our assessment in the report that there is a, a small chance that well, Russia could see itself looking for a regime change and we see what's happening right now within in, with Ab- Azerbaijani and Armenia and Armenia going, hey, Sisto, Article four, which is equivalent to NATO's Article five. And Russia said, yeah, good luck to you on that. And it's not because they don't want to. They don't have anybody to send. That They can't respond if they, if they wanted to. And we already see China realizing that because and, and Pakistan, because China and Pakistan now have China has said, we will defend Pakistan's sovereignty. This was the, the declared statement they made on the 14th of September. But so we're seeing the influence of the Russian Federation crumbling before our eyes in real time. And I think the danger that we face, I know we've asked for a short, you've asked a big question and you're looking for the short answer, I will close with this. The danger that we now face is the growing instability in the United States and the growing instability that we have in the Russian Federation and what happens if all of that breaks down. And combined with the changes that are happening and what is setting the stage for fights over literal resources, arable land, land that won't flood, and drinking water. We're at risk of moving into an age where I think we're going to see more wars over boundaries, over very fundamental resources. And is at the end of the day, most wars over boundaries are over resources. And what Russia has broken here is globalization. There was this belief because we're all globalized, we're all interconnected. And so because we're all interconnected, we're not gonna have these massive wars anymore because that breaks the interconnectivity and that breaks up the supply chains. And Russia has put a big crack into that. Don't know what happens from here.
5: And if the West lets him win, we're setting a horrible you know, precedent for the future. Is that what you're saying?
1: That Absolutely. That's part of it. Because one of the things that that we have said from an editorial standpoint, we've gotten stronger in our messaging on this, and our messaging has gotten stronger from an editorial standpoint because of the behavior of the Russian Federation, not because, well, it ties back to it's not good for the globe if we just go, yeah, you can have. Because they're not going to stop in Ukraine. Yeah, you can have Ukraine. They're not going to stop because they've made it crystal clear they weren't going to stop. Anytime Russia's been given anything, Vladimir Putin just sees that as a sign of weakness. And they push harder. Great example of this was this gas turbine. You know, Nord Stream. They they brought down capacity to fort. You all are in Europe, so a lot of you sound like you're in Europe. So you're at the brunt of, you're at the tip of the spear of this pain. They brought Nord Stream down to forty percent capacity. Go well, this this turbine's broken. We need the turbine. We're new in this ten day. We've already planned it and announced that months and ahead. And Canada have the turbine. And to give them that turbine would go against the sanctions. And so there was pressure from certain countries in Europe, give them the turbine. We need the natural, give them the turbine, give them the turbine. And they gave them the turbine. And they gave them the turbine turbine on the same day that the missile strike happened in Vitasa, where dozens of civilians were killed and and the four-year-old girl. And that was one of the... That's probably the second or third worst thing that I had to confirm those pictures. That I had to be the final arbiter. Those pictures were horrific. If you uh, don't, if you haven't found the unedited, don't don't go look for them. They're awful. And I I think I did a live where where I had said, you know, I hope this has been worth it. I hope doing this was worth it. And what happened? They got the turbine, they fixed the repairs. The gas got turned back on. Well, we can only do forty percent. So. There was nothing there. Then they brought it down to 20%. Hey, well, we need another turbine. And now they've just turned it. Well, we got to turn it off three days. We're going to try to figure out the turbine. And of course, they haven't turned it back on. Everybody knew this was going to happen. They should have never given that turbine in the first place. They should have never cut the deal that they did for Kalina Grad to allow for additional shipments to go in there. They should have never done that because it's just seen as a sign of weakness. You, it, it, and it's that's on the Russian Federation. That is not on the rest of the world. It's very clear in the Kremlin, if you give them anything, it's just seen as a sign you're weak. So what do you do with a person like that? You don't give them anything.
3: David, thank you for coming on to Mid-Atlantic and thank you for explaining the work of Malcontent News. Just before we completely go, why don't you tell people where they can find Malcontent News, and possibly how they can become patrons of Malcontent.
1: Yeah, so really, you can find us at malcontentnews.com. I did mention earlier that our news website has kind of been in in a blackout for a little bit more than a week. That actually should end, I think, by tomorrow. Well, we should be able to, because we're small, and things were just moving so fast, and we were focusing more on fact-checking on the war. But we're also on the Google News app. You can go to Google News, search for Malcontent News, make us, you know, do a follow, make us one of your favorites, and then you can get your links from there. We're on Twitter, Malcontent T. We're on TikTok, Malcontent News, although our TikTok channel is a little neglected right now because TikTok is its own little hot mess and if you wanted to become a patron you can for as little as five dollars a month usd i know we have people in all different uh, currencies on here and for five dollars a month a you support independent journalism and b you get access to our written situation reports and that includes maps and analysis and uh, we produce one one a day and they're anywhere from 20 to 70
2: for them every day i wait for them every day
1: Thank you, thank you for the plug. Thank you so much. They're 20 to 70 pages long, and we cover a lot of things that the mainstream media is not talking about. I think one thing, if I could tutor, I think we're doing a really good job of of keeping our pulse on what's happening at the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant. We're going through there. There's typically a deep update every day, and you're really not seeing that coverage anywhere else. And that and it's weird to us because that one's actually pretty easy to to cover and fact check because you could just go to the IAEA website. And, Read, read their press releases, which are coming out almost daily. But yeah, if you uh, go onto Patreon, you can look for the Malcontent. I think if you just type in Malcontent, we come right up. We have other levels, um, and we're probably going to be resetting some things on on the benefits there. And we're a little behind on on a couple of the benefits for our our bigger benefactors. Certainly, the more patrons we have. The more we can expand our team, the more journalists we can bring in. We actually have four writers and the more things we can cover. We want to cover more things. We actually want to launch another podcast because the truth matters. There's a lot of people that just want the truth. They don't want to be told what to think. They just want the facts presented to them and want to be able to think for themselves. Who who would have thought? Because apparently the mainstream media doesn't think that anymore, but they're they're stuck in this loop of you know clicks clicks for money.
3: Again, David O'Belt, thank you for coming on to to Mid Atlantic via Clubhouse and our other club that we run, Global Telegraph. Quick shout out to people in the audience. I wonder if you could do me a favor. Mid-Atlantic, which is what this is recording of. As I said before, it's been running for some eight years. I wonder if you could just show us a little bit of love, a little bit of sugar, if you wouldn't mind. If you could go on to Apple Podcasts and, and write us a review, that would mean the utter world to me personally, because it means we we'll get up those iTunes charts. So if you want to show me a little bit of love, a little bit of sugar, if you really appreciated the space which Tyrin has really gone out and got David to, to come, if you really appreciate this space and some of the other rooms which we run on this app, go to Apple Podcasts and write us a, a positive review. And that would be most excellent. Left of centre politics, I always say this is right thinking politics, but we don't demonise our right leaning brothers and sisters. We try and win them over the strength of our argument because we believe that the commons, the common space is fundamental to any democracy. It's a space where we can converse with people and also we can actually disagree, but we disagree in in a civil way. And that is fundamentally the glue of, of all of our societies that we can agree and agree to disagree without it becoming to to blows and demonising the other, which is one of the reasons why we need to be incredibly vigilant to illiberal forces which are gathering their head all around the world we need to be able to to call out those people but also to to be able to still converse with them that's incredibly important and that is one of the missions behind mid-atlantic again david albert thank you for for coming on thank you for being in the audience if you haven't done so already and and you've really enjoyed this room click the greenhouse top left global telegraph become a member of the club and you'll be alerted when we go live with these rooms. There is also another club, Mid-Atlantic, which we do ex- literally exactly the same thing. Don't ask me the reasons why I set up two clubs. I'm a fool. Anyway, that's me, Roy Phil Brown, in a cold Birmingham. Take care. Look after yourselves. Give us a little bit of sugar on Apple, iTunes, podcast. That'd be great. David, thank you for coming by. Tyrion, thank you for setting this all up. Look after yourselves, but look after your loved ones even better. Toodaloo. Bye-bye.